0: Does it yeah. give
1: you a competitive edge to build your own experimentation product? Um, you know, No companies out there building their own Google Docs because if you are Nike, you're not gonna beat Adidas by having a better word processing tool. Mm. Um, so the same thing, if you are if you are Nike and you want to experiment better, um, are you gonna get a, a competitive edge from that? Do you have the engineering resources to build that? Or are you just gonna do it to try and save costs because it's often the opposite's true?
0: Hi, Charlotte Bonford of the Experiment Nation podcast. Today, we have a special guest. His name is Ken Kutten. He has more than six years experience working at, uh, at experimentation software vendors based in Vancouver, San Francisco, London, Amsterdam, and now Singapore. And he has helped customers across EMEA and APAC build and run experimentation programs He also wrote his master's thesis on the role of experimentation in enterprise software development and has a passion for data visualization and data-driven decision making. When not talking A-B testing, Ken loves to travel, as you can tell by the the places that he went through, um, and uh, cook and explore Singapore with his family. That's a very interesting journey I've been in Ken. I'm pretty sure the listeners would want to learn how you got into experimentation? What role are you in today?
1: Yeah, definitely. Good to chat with you, Charlotte. And yeah, It's good to be here yeah. on the podcast. Definitely. Uh, so how did I get into experimentation? I was working at Oracle uh, on the go-to-market mm-hmm. team for their BI products, um, helping wow. with data visualization. And I didn't know much about A-B testing. You know, We all kind of heard it vaguely in the news about this, this thing Google was doing, and and that was about it. And um, I came across a role at a company called Optimizely and started looking into it. And I oh, thought it was really neat that you've got this discipline where there's a, a UI and design side to it. There's a, a tech side to it. Um, there's the math and statistics to it. And the more I looked into it and ended up getting the role, I kind of fell into this world and I was really excited to be a part of it. Um, this, this incredible new way to make decisions, to build better experiences, to uh, ultimately make products better for customers and um, to do so in such a data-driven way that that's never really been possible in the past at least not at this scale and and frequency of iteration um so it's kind of kind of how i arrived in the experimentation world uh, a little bit by accident but i've been loving it ever since
0: where do you see yourself going with the with the role that you have today
1: yeah um i, I think that's part of what i like about what I the job you know you're working with companies on the cutting edge uh, of of building great products and on, on continually trying to strive to build a better experience for our users um oh. there's kind of been this interesting journey for experimentation you know we used to think as just a b testing we, we call it cro sometimes um and maybe like five six years ago it was very common that companies had a cro specialist a cro manager who often yes. worked a little bit in isolation. I know you're you're not doing something so different yes. yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. That, yeah. That's how it still looks for a lot of companies, and definitely was was the norm six years ago. Where you, we've got one person in this role. Often, even at a big company, one one person who's taking on oh, just improve our conversion rates, and they're doing a lot of A/B testing, and they don't get a ton of support from marketing. They don't get a ton of support from from dev or from product. Um, often, they fall under the marketing umbrella and and they're yeah they're just trying to tweak and improve things and we've seen this evolve a lot right companies have seen great successes from experimentation and some great roi as well and Mm -hmm. that's led to a broadening of scope um which is great more resources you know developers who are now part of cro teams more more ux time to devote it to experiments um and in parallel there's been a lot of adoption from product teams. So engineers have been testing mm-hmm. for a long time, right? In terms of mm-hmm. um, basic blue green deployments and simple feature flags. But now product teams are really buying in and, and testing every feature and yep. realizing yep. that, yeah, we, we should consider everything we launch as an experiment until we actually know that there's user value attached to it. Uh, you know, it's, it's just an idea until we reach that point. And so that seems to be where things are trending. Um, and I mean, more broadly, where, where does it go from here in the future? Uh, it's a good question that anyone's bet. You know, there are lots of lots of trends happening, maybe in parallel. Um, everyone's trying to inject AI into everything right now. They have I some, <laughs> some mixed feelings about.
0: <laughs> and
1: um, you know, this is always in the software world. So I've been working at software vendors for experimentation for the past six years. Uh, we see these cycles of consolidation and then new best of breed standalone players pop up. And then there's a cycle of consolidation again. And we've seen that with experimentation, where a lot of companies, uh, like your marketing automation tool, well, guess what? Now you have an A, a B testing feature, so you can test your marketing messages. Uh, your oh. landing page design tool, great. Now you also have an A B test. So, so you get these big players who add the A-B testing features, you've got the the focused A-B testing players and, and everything in between. And I think that cycle will can kind of continue to happen over time as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because there are, again, like, uh, like you've said, there are um, a software for email marketing and then they would inject like, oh, you know, you can A-B test what type of, you know, variation would be perfect for a, a specific segmentation. That's really yeah. interesting. You've also mentioned something about like how do you feel about AI being injected to different you know, experimentation softwares? Is that something you feel like would be an advantage in the future or disadvantage in the future?
1: Yeah, there are 100% use cases. I would, would never debate that. Um, what I'm wary of and, and I hope and, and think a lot of people are wary of is it's a lot of marketing hype, right? We have to cut through. Mm. Um, so you go to a landing page for, for a software product and it says, AI-driven experimentation. Optimize every experience to every user, and you got to think like, what does that mean? Is it reliable? Mm. And and what I would come back to is, is it measurable? Um, yeah. So, at the point where you're delivering a unique experience to every visitor, how do you determine what, what's your control group to see if those experiences are working?
0: I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah,
1: yeah. Mm. and So hopefully, you can find a sweet spot where yeah, there are use cases for AI and ML. Uh, product recommendations is an obvious one, right? And then oh, oh. you can have a holdout group who gets a static list of product recommendations compared to the people who get their personalized list. And now mm-hmm. we're able to make some statistical inferences about the uplift oh. those wrecks are driving, um, mm. even though we are getting down to the one-to-one level of personalization. But what we want to avoid is just AI for the sake of it and, and <laughs> you know um, this kind of black box of throwing over the fence, see what comes back and, and assume it's better than The existing model, or assume it's better than the more human-driven model.
0: Um, Okay, so let's get straight to it. Google (laughs) optimize. It's sunsetting in twenty September twenty twenty-three. A lot of companies—they're like going crazy, scrambling right now. I wouldn't really scrambling. Like, let's just say they're, um, you know, because there's a limited amount of time. They're now like looking for a replacement, right? Now, for those who ha- haven't um found a replacement yet, what would you advise for them like when looking into these features?
1: yeah, great, great question. It's um certainly top of mind in, experimentation in the experimentation CRL world, and i yeah. I find it really interesting, like the um, the sentiment on LinkedIn because we've got this Google Analytics sunset as well happening around the same time. Mm. And there's so much content out there and resources and migration guides for GA4 that, yeah, yes. some people are complaining about GA4, some people aren't, some people are, are ready, others are not. But, but everyone's kind of talking about, is it a good fit? And, and here's my migration guide. If you look at Google Optimize, on the other hand, the sentiment is 100%, uh, we don't know what we're doing next. And oh. there's not this same kind of uh, obvious migration path. And there's not as much content out there on here. Are the best things you can do to prepare yourself and to find a better solution and to the transition, yeah. right? So it's a very different mm. feel, despite the fact we have these two sunsets happening almost coinciding with each other. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, when I start to break it down and think about like what what can you do if if you are on Google Optimize right now, and let's say you're using it with some some consistency, running a number of experiments a month, and you want to keep that going. Um, a few choices. The first is, you know, you can try and find something similar. There are a whole number of, we can call them visual editor on a client side type. Yeah. What you see is what you get testing tools out there, um, ranging from, you know, some very low cost to free ones to more expensive ones that are part of like an Adobe and Oracle suite. And again, everything in mm. between. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that seems like the obvious choice, right? But there are a few reasons to maybe pause before you jump into that the first is that you know it's um it's well, that's only one way to experiment and the the market the industry seems to be shifting towards a lot more of what i would term full stack experimentation so experimentation mm-hmm. more tightly integrated with your code base usually powered by sdks and apis And that starts to unlock new use cases. Um, It starts to unlock uh, better performance, uh, more ability to experiment across channels, deepen your tech stack, and so on. Um, So that's one reason to hesitate. Maybe you're ready for full-stack experimentation. There are a few ways to kind of gauge that.
0: Yeah, I was about to ask you that question. What do you mean by... Uh, like if it's you know like we have different types of listeners we have with the, at the experimentation would you be able to explain or expand further on what full stack testing is um, and how do you know if the company is ready for full stack testing?
1: Yeah, certainly. So what we have with Google Optimize and, and similar tools is you typically have a JavaScript tag you add to your tag manager or your HTML file. Yeah. It uh, downloads some JavaScript and run some experiments on your site. So you get a nice visual editor, you can click and drag elements and make changes, and largely you can be independent of dev for simple experiments. Yeah. Uh, Where this starts to fall over, though, is, oh, I want to build something a bit more complex. Now you're getting development involved. Um, Can still do it through a visual editor type tool, but you do need the developer to help you out. Um, It also means that all your experiments are limited to what can run in a browser. And more and more companies, you know, their experiences do not stay in the browser. You've got mobile apps, you've got kiosks at an airport, you've got Mm. logic that exists server side uh, on a a watch, whatever it may be. So you need to be able to experiment across these channels, and you can't do that with a a tool that only runs in the browser. Um, So that's where full stack testing comes in, The, the idea that, hey, let's give you a way to get an experiment decision in Anywhere you have code, anywhere your product or your logic exists, we want to let you experiment there. And that kind of really uh, opens up a whole number of new use cases to testing teams. It's a very different way of working. Um, All of a sudden, you're you're launching experiments the same way you launch features in code, and and it's well-suited to a product team, a cross-functional product team, where you've got PMs and engineers and hopefully UX and analysts. Uh, you know, working on the same team, building features and experiments, um, compared to a visual editor tool where, you know, one person or a marketeer with little technical skills and resources could be publishing some tests themselves. So very different way of working, but full stack testing does open up a whole bunch of new doors. This is Romo Santiago from Experiment Nation. Every week we share interviews with and conference sessions by our favorite conversion rate optimizers from around the world. So if you like this video, smash that like button and consider subscribing. It helps us a bunch. Now back to the episode.
0: So the question is, how do you know? Cause again, like I agree with you, full stack testing is quite very, like it's a complex thing. How would you um, tell when the company is ready for full stack testing?
1: Yeah, a few questions I would be asking myself. Um, what kind of use cases are important to me? And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we don't have to <laughs> have to lie to ourselves and say, oh, yeah, I want to do server-side testing. When You know, if, if you're a company that makes landing pages, maybe that's all you need to do. Um, but mm-hmm. at the point where you're saying, oh, I wish we could change the search uh search algorithm a little bit to try it some different weighing parameters to see which works best. Uh I wish now we could experiment. Much more complicated. Yeah. yeah, I wish we could try different pricing. I wish we could test mm. into our mobile app. I wish we could um you know change some logic or some content that lives on a server that's pulled down for mobile apps and the web browser. So that that's one as use cases. Um the second, like I said, is kind of your team your team and how you want to actually launch experiments. Do you want it to be this layer that sits on top of your website only? Or do you want to be launching features in code? And for product teams, they'd actually rather that because they don't have this uh, kind of shadow layer or uh, something that's here called to as like um, shadow CMS, where you've got two different systems that are managing what appears on your site. Um, The third is, yeah, the, the different channels that you have. So if, if it's different touch points outside the browser. Um, and another one is, is performance as well. So when you're using one of those visual editor solutions with a JavaScript tag, there'll always be some performance hit in terms of that tag has to go and download more resources from another server. There's no way around that. Um, with full stack testing, whether it's running in the browser or on the back end, you can achieve much closer to zero latency. Uh, you're able to do some more oh, of wow. the, the work up front mm-hmm. and, cool. um, and yeah, basically test without having to compromise a little bit of loading time. So that's another reason I see some teams seriously considering switching over.
0: Yeah, the loading time is always the issue. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So you, we've touched on um, earlier, you've mentioned about uh, Google Optimize and GA4 Sunsetting setting almost at the same time. So with the companies moving from Google optimized to a new solution, what would they need to ensure that it works well with, with GA4?
1: Yeah, so I guess just going back one step even, um, kind of said maybe one reason for companies to pause in their decision-making process to replace GEO is uh, the potential to go full stack. The second I would say is that this GA4 migration um, I'm also seeing some companies are pausing and saying, let's not assume GA4 is right for us. Um, they, they basically are taking a, a bigger look at what they do for analytics and, and the group experimentation in with that and trying to figure that out. And then they can, as a secondary step, decide which experimentation solution they need. And so um, if you jump into, let's find the best uh, experiment product for us, and then, oh, we also need to find that list product, You know, then you've kind of almost maybe done the backwards order that you should. Hmm. So, so I think that, um, yeah, if, if you have indeed evaluated and, and decided that GA4 is the right fit for your company, at least for the time being, um, Google has come out and, almost directly said they're not going to develop their own experimentation capability in J4, yeah. right? Mm. They, they kind of alluded to that in a couple blog posts and product updates. Um, so we shouldn't wait around for for the new Google Optimize. Um, but yeah, you need to, to find something that's that fits with what your team needs. And that's not just the technical features of the tool. It's also the company you're going to be partnering with. Um, you know, so you can be honest with yourself how much, how much support do you need? Do you need yeah. a, a, a vendor or a partner who can uh, help you strategize tests, who can help you with implementation? Um, those types of things are, are, are a big one. And, and some companies and some agencies are well-suited to get you up and running with a product and kind of offer you ongoing support. And Others are, are much more you know, well-placed to be a, a great software vendor, but you buy the product and you kind of figure out how to use it yourself.
0: Oh, yeah, um, that's much more complicated, yeah.
1: With, yeah, yeah. People are different places in that, different levels of maturity, yeah. and that's okay. But.
0: Yeah, so would you, like, are you, so what are you saying? You're saying, like, uh, let's go with an um, an alternative for Google Optimize, and if GA4 is fine, let's go with that for the meantime until we find another solution that fits uh, the company's needs and just, just start from there.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think... Um, mm-hmm. You know, what's, what's interesting is Google obviously comes from a, a long marketing background. Um, mm. They're interested in selling you ads. That's, that's their business. Of course. <laughs> and so that's why Google is always going to focus on how did you get users to your site, which ad campaigns are performing well, how can we help you with your mm. SEO, right? That's the, the goal yeah. of Google Analytics. Um, yeah. That being said, GA4, moving more to this event model, it is getting more into uh, what we might call product analytics a little bit. And Adobe just last week, maybe the week before, announcing their new product analytics solution, it's really showing that even the big players are starting to recognize the importance of um, not just acquiring users, but engaging them, keeping them happy, retaining them, um, Mm. making sure they renew at the end of the day, keep using our apps and products. And so, Um, shameless plug, you know, I'm working in Amplitude now where we've been doing product analytics for some time. It's it's a great validation to see that, you know, there is value and there's a good reason to focus on what happens after we get the user, not just how do we get them in the first place. And so, yeah, if I was looking at new analytics and new experimentation product right now for for a company I worked at, um, those are the kind of things I'd be looking at, like end to end. Can I analyze from... Uh, you know the customer seeing on my ads to landing on a landing page to signing up for the first time to retaining renewing and upselling and cross-selling like i've been looking at that journey and seeing if that fits for me and if experimentation if i'm able to experiment at each stage along that journey as well um and if i can get that from from one vendor or multiple vendors who offer me the best solution for each piece so be it mm. um but i'd be trying to kind of look end to end like that. And you know that that probably means the marketing team and the product team need to start working a bit more closely together uh, in, in terms of no longer having two two disparate cool. data mm. sets, um, yeah. two separate sets of tooling for people to learn two sources of truth essentially, and right. and all of a sudden having analytics in one place where they can see the whole customer journey and. and have one version of the truth to kind of go off and make strategic company decisions um you know the end of the day that's what that's what analytics experimentation is here to to solve for
0: yeah i agree with the end-to-end thing i think that that's most most important place where you're going to get the data like how people where are people going what what they're interested in like and what they do from and like where they came from that's actually really really good and that's that's good advice um, I have a question though so for um, companies who have capability to create their own solution in-house what do you feel about what do you think about that and is that the rise choice uh, right choice for some some of the companies
1: yeah good question it's it's a tempting choice I see lots of companies <laughs> playing with this idea um, a few considerations i mean the, the short version is like any software product or project the, this always comes in a lot more expensive and time consuming than you expect and mm-hmm. if you're yeah if you're a google or a netflix or a booking.com and you've got almost unlimited engineering resources um, then maybe maybe it's worth considering and the the reason why you would do this is You've got to ask yourself, do we have a special need, a unique need in how we experiment that we're not going to get from a vendor and that that no vendor is mm, going to build because our business yeah. model is so different, right? Does it yeah. give you a competitive edge to build your own experimentation product? Um, you know, No companies out there building their own Google Docs because if you are Nike, you're not going to beat Adidas by having a better word processing tool. Um, so the same thing. If you are if you are a Nike and you want to experiment better, um, are you gonna get a, a competitive edge from that? Do you have the engineering resources to build that? Or are you just gonna do it to try and save costs because it's often the opposite's true? Um there are a few a few studies around you know building custom software that usually it's it's an order of magnitude more expensive than getting something from a vendor. And there's a lot of, of future proofing you get from a vendor as well. Um, you know, you change your tech stack in two years and start using Go instead of Python, uh, your vendor already has an SDK for Go and they've got 25 customers using it already. Whereas you built your whole experimentation stack on Python and now you can't migrate or you got to pause experimentation for six months while you update uh-huh. the whole experimentation yeah. stack too. So um, I certainly wouldn't say, you counts. know, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say building is always bad. I would say I've seen a lot of companies um build something and underestimate the costs and the, the time to value. And that the solution you end up with often is often very technical and serves engineers and analysts, uh, leaving product and marketing a bit underserved by that in-house solution is, is typically how it ends up.
0: I'm actually interested about what you said about the cost, right? Because it like for most of the for most of the experimentation softwares out there, when you it's kind of like you're buying a, a license to use their software. And so that would pretty much, like if you, if you have a capability in ho- um, in-house to build a software for like one year's worth of that, the other, like the external experimentation software and you don't have to maintain it that much, wouldn't that be cheaper instead of like having it much more expensive? Um, when you buy somewhere else, someone else's software,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, you can. Most of these companies who've built internally have blogged about it. They're using it as ways to attract engineers who want to work on interesting problems, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, which actually means that places like Uber and Netflix have publicly stated how many full-time equivalents they have just building and maintaining experimentation tools. Mm, okay. And if you look at those, it's not like two, it's, it's commonly like 50 20 engineers working full-time on maintaining this, this product they're building in-house. Uh, depends where you are in the world, but 20 full-time engineers in the Bay Area at Netflix salaries is, is a lot more than most companies spend on off-the-shelf software. Um, even in Amsterdam, I won't mention any specifics. I, I was aware of one company who was looking at buying experimentation product. They were quoted around 300,000 euros per year Uh, For their volumes, and they decided to build in-house, and they had a team of six full-time equivalents working for multiple years to get it off the ground, and so it it very quickly adds Mm. up, right?
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: The the thing about experimentation as well is perhaps more than any software solution you buy, you can measure ROI from it quite easily.
0: Mm. Um,
1: it's, It's it's and it's often you know. Uh, a, a 5, a 10, a 20x over what you're, at least what you're spending on subscriptions, you should factor in of course your own manpower and, and everything that goes into yeah. it um, so that's something, you know, another piece of advice I'd give people who are looking at Google Optimize and, and trying to justify whether it's a build or a buy um, can you look back over the last year or two at the experiments you've run uh, on revenue metrics, the uplift you're seeing, and hopefully use that to as a case to get some I mean, budget yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so and maybe some budget you didn't have before if you're even on Google optimize free plan um, could be the first time you're you're gonna pay for a subscription for a software product for experimentation but hopefully the the wins you've gotten in the past twelve months should more than justify uh, a, a new subscription cost for you
0: yeah yeah I agree that that is very insightful. I was thinking about the costs earlier and I was like probably it might be cheaper but you know that's That makes a lot of sense, having that overhead and everything. But yeah, I want to know. um, You know, we're talking about experimentation software. What do you think is the where's the trend going to? What's the next like? What's the next big thing in Mm -hmm. experimentation software?
1: Yeah, there there are a few trends I see. Um, One we kind of touched on is AI, and there there there's some interesting applications there, of course. Uh, around you know personalization within tests, around recommendations, uh, helping with interpreting analysis and such. Um, another one that I that I see happening, I think, is really critical, is the the software doing a better job of kind of helping you manage your experimentation program. Oh. So uh, everyone, all the experimentation software on the market you know, helps you. Build and run a test, and usually there's analysis built into that as well. That's kind of the, the core. Of all the products that do that in some form or another. Um, hmm. If you if you do an experimentation uh, program at your company and you're running like two tests a month, and the typical company is getting an experiment winner on twenty to thirty percent of their experiments, so a stat saying uplift, you're running for a lot of months with zero ROI, right? Mm, mm. And maybe at the end of the year, you have a couple with, with a statsig sig uplift, and maybe one of those is on revenue, and, and you're, you're in the red on your ROI analysis. Um, so really, experimentation works when you as a team are running five, ten, or more experiments a month. And that's when you start to trip over the things that you can kind of hack together for a single test. Um, things like capturing and prioritizing ideas in a, in a repeatable, reliable framework, uh, documenting hypotheses, ensuring you've oh. got the right, uh, the right backing data, and, and the right metric selection, um, sharing results with with people in the team, all all of these things that have, that need to happen better as you move from one experiment month to ten experiments month. And so that's a trend I see in software is is that there's this focus on how can we help companies with their experimentation programs, not just with the tech side of building and running a test. And um, I I think that's really good, like maintaining best practices as you scale is is something software can help with. It can't solve entirely, but it can definitely help with.
0: That's interesting when you said like, um, you know, two tests a month may not be enough of an uplift to see an ROI. What, how many tests would you recommend? Would you, are you after quality of tests or quantity Two. of tests? I, I'm just interested in that because um, I've seen a lot of like podcasts before, like, oh, you know, it's the, the more the tests you run, the, the, the more chances of winning kind of thing. And there are people would be like, oh, probably like four tests or quality tests, and you'll see like 200% uplifts this would be fine. What, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I don't know that I have a, a number or even a rule of thumb. Um, I think it comes down to, first of all, a good prioritization model where you're looking oh. at, you know, what's the potential impact, how, how many people make it to this, this part of this flow, this part of the site or app. Um, so if the test does work and gets us a 10% uplift, what does that mean at the end of the day? And you can counter that with a, an, an effort estimation uh, for building the test. So then you've got kind of these two axes, two competing axes to, to help you prioritize things and mm. start from the top and, and work your way down as you go through various experiments. Um, I've heard some teams who will try and pick a couple, you know, Hail Marys every month and pick a couple simpler, <laughs> simpler, more likely ones. So hopefully they're driving incremental improvements while they try kind of the moonshots in parallel um, mm. to kind of have a bit of a balance in terms of their, I don't know, risk reward profile if you will mm. um, so, so I don't know that there's a, a you know a standard or a single rule of thumb and like we said as, as more product teams take this over the testing backlog and the product backlog become kind of merged and That's sure. yeah. product management has had methods for you know prioritization uh, for a long time which now experimentation is, is somewhat benefiting from.
0: Okay, there's a lot of companies like we've said in the start that are um, scrambling to look for a replacement. There are also a lot of experimentation uh, experimentation software out in the market. And to be honest, I feel like there is like, I feel like some uh, features overlap each other's features and they're kind of like almost the same thing, but different brand. Um, So, you know, if you're a company or if you're uh, advising a company uh, and they have like these, like, let's say five to 10 experimentation software, what, what's the first things that we need to look at or a company needs to look at before they decide on an experimentation software?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd start with um, a, a self-assessment of where you are as a, as a company and team for your culture and appetite for experimentation. First, to assess how much help do we need. Have uh, oh. we been running 10 tests a month for the past two years independently and ready to continue with that versus uh, we have an agency who builds half our tests and we have our software vendor on site once a month delivering training sessions. And, you know, we've hired six new PMs in the last three months and of them have experimentation knowledge. Um, that's going to be play a big role in, in what you expect from your vendor, your partner, your agency you work with in, in terms of, yeah, who, who can you work with? Um, then, yeah, I'd look at, you know, what are our most important touch points for our customer? Is it all browser-based? Uh, are we are we mobile first? Um, do we have a lot of infrastructure experiments and, and back end business logic, engineering logic, we want to experiment on? That'll influence as well. Um, where do the analytics live? Keep coming back to that, right? Oh, have we oh. have we standardized on you know what the big analytics players? Are we using a, a more focused, best of breed solution? Something in between? And do we expect to do the experiment analysis in the experiment tool, or do we expect to do the experiment analysis um, in our analytics product, or maybe something more manual in house? Um, that will influence as well. We start to think about how easily can we get data out of this tool. How reliable is that data as a single source of truth? Or do we have kind of discrepancies now? Oh. Um, another one is even like, how are we going to target experiments if you're if you're doing a lot of top of the funnel experimentation, right? Landing pages, maybe they're all general tests. Um, but if you're testing in the product, you've got different plans and different regions you support, different types oh. of user personas. You want to do targeting based off that. Um, you might not have all that user context in the experimentation product that might live in a CDP, in your data warehouse, in your analytics solution. And you've got to start to think about, can these things work together in a, in a reliable way and in a performant way whereby, whereby I can say, okay, I want to target an experiment to the people who made four purchases in the last month and are on my free plan. Um, you know, What would that look like? And is that something I could do, again, at scale? Or is that going to be a lot of uh, a lot of work for an engineer to hack together and I'm only going to do it once a year?
0: Mm -hmm. So what are the features that you usually like look at um, in terms of the uh, experimentation software? Because I feel like you have like this pre, um, you know, there, there are softwares where you can prioritize tests now where you can write almost like a Trello thing that is already integrated. And then you have, like, after the experimentation, they can also integrate, like, the heat maps and all the other things that you need post-test analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of uh, experimentation software, aside from those things, is there anything else that you might be able to, like, add to the, okay, aside from these um, what are the other factors that can be like a possibility to look at um, in terms of like choosing a, a software or an experimentation program?
1: Yeah, uh, maybe a couple others to keep in mind would be things like uh, what kind of technologies are using the front end. Um, some solutions are better than others. If we're just talking about the visual editor role for a moment, some are better than others at handling dynamic content, like you've got a React or an Angular or an XJS site. Um, that can be a struggle for, for visual editors and some handle it better than others. Um, on the statistics side, these solutions, uh, some are using quite similar stats engines. Like a Bayesian mm-hmm. inference model is quite common these days. Um, others use something a little less common like sequential testing. And, um, you, you know, it, it gets technical quickly. goes over my head quickly. Yeah, I don't nice mind admitting thing. that. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I always tell companies, like, look, if this is... If, if you're going to be making business decisions off this, don't assume they're all the same and don't so assume it's good enough. Uh, bring in a data scientist on your team. Bring in one of your statisticians or, or someone who can, you know, look at the, the tech documentation of the stats model and see if you like it, see if you think it's reliable, um, if it will work for you. Um, so, so yeah, it gets down to like the program management functionality, um, support for your specific technology, statistics mm. engines you can work with, targeting you can work with. And then the big one is is just integrations. Um, will it connect I mean, well to your right. analytics and play nicely there? Uh, if you're doing any targeting, where does that data live and can you get that into the experimentation product? Um, so those types of things as well.
0: That's awesome. Um, last question, probably. Sure. You also wrote, you wrote on your thesis um, on experimentation, which is, you know, interesting because I don't think I've met anyone who wrote about experimentation so far. What have you learned um, from your thesis?
1: Yeah, my main goal was really to uh, try and unpack this link that we've all accepted. Everyone agrees experimentation makes you innovative. And I thought, okay, let's take a step back and see, you know, a, is there actual evidence that this is true? And B, if so, uh, why? Why might that be the case? And the first challenge you encounter is, well, no one can agree what innovation actually means, right? There, there are a few yeah. kind of um, soft definitions that get thrown around about coming up with a new product, solves customers, delivers value for you, delivers, cust- delivers value for the customer, um, something novel that hasn't been done before, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's yeah. great. But if we're going to try and measure this, we need we need a, a definition we can use in numbers. And there are a few different ideas there as well. Um, you know, like Boston Consulting Group defines it as the amount of revenue that you've obtained from new products, taking into account the spend on new product development and your revenue from the rest of your portfolio and, and those types of things. Um, you can look at things like patents, which aren't aren't a great metric, but but they say something. At least you you prioritize. IP and and getting new things to market. Um, So a few different ways to measure innovation. And then um, you got to look at, okay, so how much are companies actually experimenting? And for that, I pulled a lot of data. I found a database of about 10 or 15 million job postings from the last five Uh years or so. And I I scraped it for certain keywords. Um, And and in order to benchmark, I wanted to look not just at uh, experimentation, A-B testing, but things like uh, heat mapping, session recording, um, hmm. analytics in general, and then some other kind of practices that we see from product teams, like uh, road mapping, prototyping, agile, um, all of these kind of keywords. And I took that job posting data. I did the same thing with a bunch of LinkedIn profiles.
0: Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, not too bad. At least there's some tools out there to help you with it. And um, tried to figure out which companies were actually experimenting the most. And then what was interesting is, is yeah, I found that um, of the different practices, so, you know, session recording, experimentation, prototyping, blah, blah, blah. Um, experimentation did have the strongest correlation with innovation based on a couple of definitions. Wow. And so so it really seems like, yeah, there is this, um, again, cor- causation is tough, correlation is, is a bit easier. There's definitely a correlation with innovative output in enterprise software development companies and their propensity to experiment.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then you got to like happily share the the thesis, but it's a bit long and dry, Um, (laughs) but, but you can start to get into, okay, well then why might this be? And um, it keeps coming down to the culture, right? What, what, um, how does a company view risk? How do they view new ideas uh, where do they think new ideas should come from um, mm. and how willing are they to, to try out new things and, and give them give them a chance, give them their day in the sun and see if they stick and, and drive value. Um, that's kind of what where that's- the theory keeps taking it back to really understanding customers at the core of it.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, innovation is, is you know, um, through experimentation, you get innovation. That's actually very, very interesting because you won't know anything unless you experiment, right? You won't be, be able to um, find a, a different solution if you don't know that the problem exists. So it's it's very interesting that you said that. I'm actually really, um, I would say, blessed and lucky that uh, the team that I'm in, they're very experimental focus
1: mm-hmm.
0: um but i would be interested like what would you say to companies who are able to do experimentation but they're not doing that
1: Com- companies who are able to experiment but aren't yet what would be kind of the advice yeah.
0: for them or yeah exactly what would you advise to companies like hey get into experimentation because you might you know see or find issues that doesn't you think that doesn't exist mm. and might help you in the future what would you um advise to those companies or yeah, yeah
1: maybe maybe the most uh, convincing argument you can make is that their competitors are probably doing it ah oh, um, true <laughs> but but yeah i think you know at the core of this why do we do analytics why do we experiment yeah. why do we look at session recordings we've all kind of acknowledged that the closer we can get to our customers, the better products mm-hmm. we can build. I mean, that's, if I could summarize agile in one sentence, it would be that, right? Like how, how much feedback can we get? How quickly can we iterate on it? Put it in our product mm-hmm. uh, as, as a feedback loop and get it in front of customers again, it's just like get it in front of customers as frequently as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that's not too controversial of a thought and, and, I see it as really natural uh, progression from that thought is what's the quickest and easiest way to get ideas in front of customers and see if they like them? It's experimentation. It's the only way you can do that so quickly and at scale and in a statistically robust way. Um, so I don't know if that would help convince anyone, but that's kind of the, at least the theoretical argument I would use to, to try <laughs> try and encourage some appetite to experiment more.
0: You you probably had them as like with the comp- your competitors are probably doing
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. If not, awesome. uh, Netflix and Facebook are, and everyone will be competing with them in some way or another. So.
0: Exactly, exactly. Awesome. Um, well, Ken, uh, it's been amazing to have you. I would like to thank you on behalf of Experiment Nation and uh, thank you for the insights. It's been really good. Yeah, that's it.
1: Great. Thanks so much for having me.